As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. series prediction episode here on the just baseball show it is thursday october 26th first up you got jack mcmullen i am peter apple and we're going to give you our full world series preview and predictions bringing on dodgers right-hander walker bueller arm will join us as well it's the three horsemen and a guy who's kind of a horse on the mound we're all going to tell you who's going to win between the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. But first, a couple of housekeeping things, a couple of new moves, and it's all brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JUSTBASEBALL. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. Jack, before we get into the hiring of Craig Breslow, Craig Breslow yeah. of for the Boston Red Sox, quick reaction. You weren't on the show last night. Game 7. How you feeling? Yeah, so I I haven't been feeling good the last couple of days. I've had some balance issues, and I was like, there might be something seriously wrong. So I went to my doctor, and I was like, hey, what's going on? And they were like, I don't know. You know, we'll do some blood work. We'll we'll get it back to you. And last night, or I guess this morning, I woke up, and I, I heard a certain podcast host maybe diagnose my issue. So mm. I called my doctor. I said, Doc, I think I know what's going on. Tell me if I'm being crazy. I think my center of balance may be off because instead of earth, I'm standing on Kevin Ginkle's nuts. Agreed. 
And I'm just like a little thrown off kilter. And and she said, you know what, Jack? I think you're exactly right. And I heard Peter say that on the Just Baseball show, too. I thought you were going to make a uh, like a snake bit you, like the venom going into your bloodstream no, kind of joke. But I, I agree. We're been... all just standing on it. And she probably feels a little bit off, too, because she's on it. All seven billion of us are. So Jupiter is a little crazy. And shout out uh, one of our video extraordinaires, Peyton Guinness, who yeah. put the literal radius of <laughs> Jupiter in a social media video when you said his nuts are the size of Jupiter. So um, we love pushing creative boundaries like that. And uh, we we strive to do impressively professional work. And I think that was impressively professional. Um, yeah, so I, that, but also I've been fully possessed by this snake venom just coursing through my veins, I'm all in on snakes alive. And like, spoiler alert, I'm not picking the Rangers because like, I don't know how at this point. It's nuts. So this was an amazing two game stretch in Philly that apparently did not put the end to Chris Mad Dog Russo's career, a titan in sports talk radio, who was that confident that the Phillies were going to win one of two in Philly. I was that confident that the Phillies were going to win game six. Then part of me was that confident that the Phillies were going to win game seven. But man, welcome hey, to baseball where the stupid out. shit happens and the beautiful shit happens. Shout out Jack McMullen picked the Arizona Diamondbacks in game seven, said it goes against everything that he could imagine. And yet here we are, Arizona Diamondbacks moving on. And yeah, when I said I'm a ball knower, it's both on and off the field. Yeah. Let's talk about Craig Breslow. Yeah. The Red Sox have officially found their guy to go after Heim Bloom. Yeah. He's been hired by the Boston Red Sox to be their chief baseball officer. I'm going to throw it over to you in a second because you're very familiar with his time with the Chicago Cubs. Some quick bullet points. Craig Breslow graduated from Yale University. He was a 2013 World Series champ with the Red Sox, played for 13 seasons in Major League Baseball. He was part of the recruitment when Theo Epstein went to the Chicago Cubs, special assistant to the president and GM of the Cubs in 2020, and he was the assistant GM to the Cubs before making the move to Boston, promoted three times in four years. Jack, this seems like a big up-and-comer in Major League Baseball, and it seems like the Red Sox really found their guy here. They got the right guy. I will get out in front of it and say that. Um, there were other candidates that were uber-qualified, and if James Click, if Thad Levine, if Kim Ang wanted their names in this, I think that they could have been in there. But of the candidates that we knew, Craig Breslow was the best option. Why? Former Red Sox pitcher. Um, through 89 to 92, you'd never want to hire a GM that threw 99, much like you'd never want to hire Pat Ewing to be a college coach. Because Patrick Ewing is probably looking at the Georgetown Bigs, and it's like, why can't you do that? I could do that. I'm Pat Ewing. <laughs> exactly. Barry Bonds didn't exactly work as a hitting coach. You can't be too good. Yeah. And he was not too good, but he got big outs in a couple World Series runs in the 2013 World Series run for the Boston Red Sox. I think what John Henry did, and I don't quote me on it, but if to. I was if I was in John Henry's position, <laughs> I'd be looking at the Texas Rangers right now and be like, okay, that's a team that significantly escalated their payroll within the last two seasons. Guess what? We're the Boston Red Sox. We can significantly escalate our payroll within the next two seasons. I don't know. Soccer is pretty big over there. 
<laughs> Liverpool might be in the dumps right now. Although Chelsea, like their big ticket a free agency window or transfer market window is weird. But well, would you really spend that much money on your hobby? That's what I feel like John Henry owning the Red Sox is at this point. He's a soccer guy. He's a Liverpool guy. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I own the Red Sox. I will say the Chicago Bulls are Jerry Reinsdorf's hobby. And I've seen are they Pat doing? Williams is looking for $200 million. So apparently people are willing to spend that much money on their hobby. Um, Breslow was a former pitcher that experienced a lot of individual success and team success with the Boston Red Sox. Guess what the Rangers did? They hired a pretty solid pitcher that six happens ten. to be an Ivy Leaguer. Yeah, 6'10". Breslow's not 6'10". Tall. Yeah. But Ivy League pitcher that loves the game and knows the intricacies of a front office. Guess what Craig Breslow is? An Ivy League alum pitcher that happens to know the intricacies of a front office. And look at the pedigree. As soon as Breslow got done, he was hired by Theo Epstein to join the strategic side of the Chicago Cubs front office. He was then elevated to the director of pitching and special assistant to the GM of the Chicago Cubs. So he stayed when Jed Hoyer was elevated and Theo left. Craig Breslow played under the Theo Epstein regime in Boston. He was part of a front office under the Theo Epstein regime in Chicago. Guess who the greatest baseball exec of all time is? Theo. Theo Epstein. He learned how to be an exec under, I think, the greatest to ever do it. This guy is a player that is well-respected and has spent enough time as a high-ranking front office exec. He can surround himself with the appropriate Robins to complement his Batman, and I think they absolutely nailed it. The Rangers are a great blueprint, and the Red Sox might be trying to follow the Rangers' blueprint a little bit. You know how this blueprint is really working, right? You mentioned the Rangers, now the Red Sox, great hire. When do you think the blueprint starts to transition to younger 25 to 26-year-old podcast hosts? Yeah. Also, you know, generated a following on TikTok, yeah. not Ivy League, Syracuse University. Yeah. Ever heard of Carmelo Anthony? So I'm thinking that the blueprint could start to change if yeah. – Craig Breslow doesn't end up working out. Do you think potentially me? I, I'm just I'm just yeah. throwing guys out there. Yeah. Could be considered soon. So so you've got a couple of pipe dreams. And I want to make sure that pipe I pipe dreams. I, what do you mean? You you've got a couple of lofty goals that you want to hit in baseball. Uh, that's fair. Lofty that, goals. So uh, I want to make sure goals. I have them mapped out. Like in order yes. of preference, okay. would you rather be the right fielder for the Dodgers? Because I know you've expressed interest in doing that. Um, a pitcher okay. throw one pitch in the big leagues. Okay. Um, on every TV network at the same time, talking baseball, or the president of baseball operations of the Boston Red Sox. I know those are kind of your big four in terms of checkpoints you want to mm. hit before you're thirty. Yeah, I I think they're all feasible, but like, where do you kind of rank them in order of preference? Well, here's the issue: I am in my athletic prime. I am 25 years old. Adley yeah. Rutschman is also 25 years old. Juan Soto is getting close to 25 years old. So I think it would be smarter of me to attack the on-the-field stuff first, whether it's first base, whether it's a reliever. You know, my arm's not going to be able to hold up that long, but people have said if you give me an inning, like I'm going to do a job. So I would consider on-the-field first, but if we're talking about, would I rather speak on radio 
to the entire country talking about baseball or be a president of baseball ops. My old dream used to be president of baseball ops, but I would love for this show to be on primetime television. That would be my number one goal, but I feel it's in my best interest to attack on the field first when I'm in my prime. Got it. Okay. So the way that I kind of view how you think about the immediate future is Mm -hmm. uh, FDR's wartime addresses back in the 1940s. I kind of view what you want to do with the Just Baseball show in that regard, where every man, woman, and child in the United States of America Mm. huddles around a legitimate radio sitting above their fireplace. We supply every American a fireplace. And we have them listen <laughs> to the Just Baseball show every night at 8 p.m. Yeah. No, I think we're all on the same page here. Is it time to talk about World Series predictions now or should we talk about me more? Because I am I can do anything. The Just Peter show. Craig Breslow is a great hire for the Boston Red Sox. Let's talk about the World Series. So we've got a World Series to talk about now, which is chill as hell walker bueller is with us now so is aram who uh opted out of the intro for yoshinobu yamamoto stuff so shout out aram joining the fold and uh walker man good to have you back this is i guess last one of the season right because this is the last time we talk with you before the final game is played so um i don't this is like your exit meeting how did it go did you like podcasting teaser we may go we may go for a game seven one if there's a game seven all right you're breaking news to us. So there we go. Game seven. How did podcasting go? Did you enjoy it? Uh, do you plan on continuing to do it? What's the word? I don't know. I mean, I I think I enjoyed it. I, I guess everyone that is listening should like, comment, all that kind of stuff. See if we want to keep this going. But no, I've enjoyed it, man. It, it's kind of been a a fun way to, to get my head kind of out of not playing. And, um, you know, I don't know. Just talking ball. It's a pretty good yeah. time. Yeah, it's not half bad. Man, Aram, how how have you assessed Walker Bueller's performance as the season has gone on? Letter grade. Yeah. Uh oh. Straight letter grade. Go A. A. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I almost went A minus, but I it just it got better and better. You know, it was like it was A minus out of the gate. We got comfortable. Um that that's more of like a dynamic thing, too, right? Sometimes like you got to know where your receiver is gonna be. And I, by, I felt like by episode two, episode three, like we just kind of had that that instinct. You knew where the receiver was going to be. You throw the ball there. You put it there before he's even there. But I know it's no, honestly, I am it a got fun. Not a quarterback, though. Yeah, that is fair. That is fair. But it, I, there was something and you can maybe make the comparison of like, you know, a battery as well, where I think the pitching breakdowns and stuff like that really was where things just got to another level where it's like, where else is anyone doing this? And that kind of pushed it almost to, to A plus territory there. But the one drawback was the one bourbon that we tried that wasn't good. Ancient and that age. brought you back. I forget which one it was. No, Ancient, Ancient Age was age. okay. There was one that like he trolled us with. I forget which one it was. It was Ancient Age. It was it. Yeah, you trolled us with that one. That dropped you down to an A. But no, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun, man. And we're, we're really lucky and appreciative to have you on. And hopefully we'll, we'll keep rolling. Uh, buddy. I'm probably uh I'm probably gonna roll with a B plus here. Um Ooh. A plus in terms of analysis of the game, but I think we have to go C for being controversial. We got Aaron Rodgers over here talking about ayahuasca, calling people Mr. Pfizer, just going after people. He didn't talk enough shit, I don't think. So that's why I'm that's going fine. C in terms that's of being controversial, A plus in terms of the baseball and, analysis. And- 
and we'll go we'll go with the B plus. We were, we were speaking beforehand. Can we get a letter grade on your picks this week? <laughs> um Jack, we got to talk about the World Series. I don't know why we're dwelling <laughs> on the past here. I mean, what are we doing? Got here? you. Yeah, real quick question. If one of them gave you like a C minus and like said something that was probably wrong, but just like a level of criticism, would you have left the Zoom or would you have like toughed it out and stayed with us? I'm a little more petty than that. I wouldn't have left the Zoom, but they may have left just baseball in about 28 hours. Got you. Okay. So like, just, I'm going to bomb the show and it's all going to take a nosedive. Understood. Let's talk world series. Cause the Rangers got there and the diamondbacks got there. The diamondbacks against all freaking odds. Holy smokes. Um, let's start on the national league side because I, I kind of threw out my ability to reason ahead of game seven. I was like, everything in my being is saying that the Phillies in Philly, Ranger Suarez had an ERA in the low ones in his postseason career. Like it's all lining up Philly, but sometimes baseball doesn't make sense. And the Diamondbacks are going to win with Brandon Fott on the hill. And Fott, have you had any communication with Fott? Because he's a Louisville guy. No, I have not. I, I knew a few guys that played at Bellarmine, but they were a little kind of before his time. But I didn't really know too much about him until um, this year. Yeah. What'd you think of Fott in game seven? Because I just rolled with it. I was like, I'm picking the Diamondbacks because everything in my being tells me not to pick the Diamondbacks. And yeah. I mean, Fott kicked ass, man. What'd you see from a young pitcher like that? Yeah, I mean, it. I know everyone classifies it as a, as a sweeper or whatever. I, I really don't think it necessarily plays that way. I think you watch him to Harper and some of the other lefties be able to throw that thing under him, which um, as a guy who has thrown kind of that sweeping pitch and um you know watches enough right-handed starting pitching like that the true sweeper is not necessarily one that is really going to be a great pitch to lefties especially then like down in there um just because of the shape of it right you, you think about the barrel and how that pitch has to get there and it seemingly has to sit in the middle of the plate for a long time and, and his has a little more of that downer kind of shape obviously not it's not the 89 or the 90 that we saw Ginkle throwing, which is kind of the traditional downer slider, but um, he was able to use that kind of sweeping downer slider as if it was 88 or 90 and, and kind of get it up under their hands. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a really good outing, obviously um, rookie in a game seven. I know I got tagged in a few things on Twitter just because there haven't been that many guys that have done it. And, and whether it went good, bad or ugly, that that's still, you know, a really cool experience for him and, and something that, that I can kind of resonate with. So, um, you know, hats off to him. Question on the, on the fastball with him, because there's, there's some interesting proponents to it where he's got two variations. He has the sinker and he has you know, the, the, the true four seamer uh, and his release heights pretty low relative to the rest of the league and, and most starters that you're going to see. What I thought was interesting was that the fastball started playing a lot better over these last couple starts and you got to kind of figure out where to use what. H how do you attack hitters with that four-seamer and then also the sinker? Because sinkers generally play better from a high release point. Four-seamers generally play better from a lower release point. Like, do you think it's fought kind of learning how to use both and and just differentiate? Or, you know, um, what's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked through that, that stuff a little bit before, not necessarily with him, but with the fastballs in terms of just getting away from average. And, and for him... I don't know what he kind of grew up throwing. So typically guys will favor one or the other. If I have to throw a strike or I have to do X, Y, or Z. Um, 
And so, you know, him being a lower release guy, if he's always throwing a sinker, right, and that's his throw, then maybe learn the four seamer and, and being down there, and, and that probably is always going to it's going to keep getting better and better. We've seen, uh, at least in our organization, a lot of guys that have really good sinkers. We kind of teach them a small cutter or four seamer to get balls up in the zone to to keep the opposite handed hitters away from you a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, Blake Trinan started doing that a lot before he got hurt, throwing a lot of cutters and fours to lefties and then sinkers and sliders to righties. So, um, you know, I think that low release point gives him a, a chance to have that kind of um, deceptive four-seamer that the numbers don't necessarily have to say is is a 22-inch vertical fastball for it to play pretty well. I know – uh, Hater does that, and we have a guy and the Sheehan that does that from a really low spot. Scherzer does that. Um, guys whose numbers don't say it's, you know, in the top five percent in terms of vert, but will play much different than everyone else's. And um, so, you know, I think confidence gets involved in that. Adrenaline, maybe, you know, that throw at ninety three doesn't really work really well for him, but in the playoffs and he's amped up and it's ninety six, maybe. Um, you know, it carries a little bit more than it should being that velocity X, Y, Z. So um, that's why it's a beautiful game, man. It's hard to figure out kind of why all this stuff works. And and what I think is interesting is, you know, he's a – those two pitches are kind of a, a nice story in terms of figuring out how the numbers can help you and where you release it and whatnot. But, um, you know, you think back to 90s baseball, right, you've had – guys that threw two seamers their whole life and start throwing a four and it just works out and they have this invisible, but we know nothing about it. Right. And we know, we don't know the reasoning or anything like that. So, um, you know, for every guy that makes it work because they learn there, there's a few guys that probably fail. Um, but that's what I don't like about the anti new school stuff is to be honest, those guys probably would have failed anyway. Right. If that sinker wasn't enough that the numbers don't matter, then you probably needed to figure something out anyway and so you know i I think it's a cool kind of story about this new school look and and you know he doesn't throw super new schooly it's not everything at the top and all that like he's throwing sinkers and sliders and trying to go back door and do all the things that you know they love to talk about in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s but now we just know why some of it works and some of it doesn't I'm really glad we're starting with the Diamondbacks starting pitching because I think that's the X factor in this series, right? If they can slow down these Rangers bats, they have a shot because Mm -hmm. they've been facing great starting pitching against the Phillies, against the Dodgers, against the Brewers, and they've been able to put up runs. But if they can't win those four to two games, the Rangers might just score too many runs. So we talked about Fott. I'm really interested in your opinion about Zach Gallen because he's a guy that, You've talked about numerous times on the show how much you like him on the mound. Uh-huh. But he's been struggling a little bit this postseason, right? So we look at a guy like Kelly, and he's had some dominant starts. He had that one somewhat of a blow-up against the Phillies, but in reality, he only gave up three hits, but three of them happened to be home runs. Uh-huh. In every one of Gallon's starts, the runs have started to come in, which is so unlike him because he was so dominant all season long. Have you seen anything from Gallon that you think can be easily fixable in this series against the Rangers? Because he is so incredibly important. Of course, he's getting the game one start. Yeah, I mean, Gallon's one of those guys, obviously, throughout his whole career. It's kind of never been 100, right? But it's always been 
93, 96 and, and kind of sits at 94 and it's got that little cut to it. And, um, you know, with him, I, I think a little bit of he's getting all the negative of the adrenaline and not much of the positive, right? In terms of some of these games I'm watching, it's 93, the first pitch of the game and, and a guy that's typically 92, 96 or 93, 96 or whatever you want to say his normal velo range is, right? Um that that pitch that Schwarber hit out is the one I'm kind of remembering. It was like 93 right down the middle up, and it's the first yeah. pitch of the game. Like, if that pitch is 97, he's got a lot better chance of of not that not being a homer, right? And Schwarber also could have hit it five mile five miles an hour harder, and it could have gone out of the stadium. But you know, Zach doesn't really throw balls. Oh, first pitch of the game, middle up. You know, I think. Some of that can be adrenaline. I, I just I think for him there's got to be a little bit of freedom of, well I'm I'm gonna miss up some because I'm amped up and so I can just let these balls eat instead of kind of a little bit of caution of the miss right and and you know sometimes we talk about stuff over command guys or or guys that do things a certain way and and he's a guy that obviously has has command and has been really really good in this league by commanding a few pitches really well. And for him, I think kind of embracing the the fact that this is the World Series and my stuff is going to tick up and I don't have to be as concerned may, may be the next thing. I, you know, I, I don't really know his mind. I, I know Zach pretty well, but I don't know him in terms of playing with him. So that opinion is completely my own, I guess. But, uh, you know, I think the other thing is he's had a lot of years in a row. He's put some innings on. Right. And, and so. This year, especially when he was kind of in the Cy Young conversation for a long time, you know, dealing with throwing 200 innings, you know, I've kind of been there in the playoffs and, and that, that like next step jump gets you to where you have been all year. It doesn't quite get you to more, right? And, and I remember my rookie year, I threw whatever, 130 innings or something. And we got to the playoffs and it's like, holy shit, like every ball I throw is 98 because you're amped up and my normal throws 97 and it's fine. But when you've thrown that many innings, that adrenaline jump kind of gets you to where you normally are. Right. And then mm. kind of what I'm talking about, those misses change because, you know, everything's happening a little bit faster and that ball comes out, you know, this, this much of a higher angle and, and it's a homer instead of the ground out. And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to have to piece this part together, kind of what he's gone through this postseason and, um, you know, find a way forward with, with what he has. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's kind of always figured it out. And and obviously they, they believe in him as, you know, most of us would, you know, with what he's done and, and giving him the ball in game one may, may get him back on the horse. So you're on a heater right now, I'm raising his grade to an A minus. That was a great answer. <laughs> that was gas. Um, <laughs> Gallon, you know, you've experienced obviously adrenaline in huge moments in the postseason. You also have a six pitch mix, right? And I, what's the number? It's six pitches with a negative run value in twenty one. Like, not not very many players do that. But um, you've got a pitch mix, and you had to rely on a pitch mix with adrenaline, and that's what Gallon does. And it's pretty well documented. Brent Strom is the pitching coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was with Houston for a while, and he's one of the more well respected pitching minds in our game right now. And he has been on record and said. You know, I've coached guys with better four seamers, with better changeups, with better curveballs, with better cutter sliders. I've never seen someone with a better pitch mix than Zach Gallant. Yep. How does adrenaline affect pitch mix? 
in that. Yeah, I think I think for him, probably. I mean, if I'm, I've, I don't really remember if I faced him in the box or not. Um, but from TV and and watching him a lot, um, my assumption, the only thing that would change is that here. I'll try and show it this way. So most guys four seamers spin like this, straight to you like this. His has a little baby cut. Okay. Right? And if you watch it on TV, it'll just move to his glove side a little bit at the end. Just like that. On a slider, that that ball is going to rotate more that way. Now, if he's not getting that baby cut on his heater, say it's adrenaline, it's coming out arm side, and it has a little bit of this, now that slider cutter looks way different. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So that's yeah. That's the only thing I can really think of. Real quick, what doesn't make sense? We've talked to a lot of players. Arm has talked to a ton of players on the call up. It seems like no pitchers have a baseball that they can just grab, like off their laptop or their iPad. There's just nothing. You don't think we? You don't think we? And I'm just a fat podcast host, and I have one sitting right here. I got two of them. Jack Jackson Job was the first to ever have a baseball ready to go uh, from the Tigers organization, their first round pick, and then. After I I said, wow, you're the man for having a baseball. He I asked him what the inspiration was behind his cutter, and he said Walker Bueller. And I was like, boom, okay, you're checking all the boxes so far. But um, you don't think we spend enough time with the ball in our hand? Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair rebuttal. Yeah, it's not fair. you always gotta have a ball in your hand. Always. Also, you faced Zach Gallon twice in 2018. How'd that go for him? Um, pretty for well. Him. For him, <laughs> pretty well. Uh two strikeouts. Okay. <laughs> On seven pitches. <laughs> Let's wrap with Merrill Kelly. If we're talking Diamondbacks pitchers, how'd that go for him? I love that. Um, Kelly said some things that Phillies fans ran with. He happened to make two starts in Philly. First one didn't go so well. Second one went really well. I know you're into poking the bear a little bit. Um, how'd you feel uh-huh. when you... I mean, you've said some shit, man. Um, how do you Look at feel him just about smiling. He knows. <laughs> how do you feel about a guy like that? I mean, he's thrown in Korea for several years. Like him coming back, knowing that you know he's he knew exactly what he was doing, poking that bear in Philly, and for him to have that game six start. What did you make of like that mental wherewithal from a guy that's obviously been there and done that? Yeah, I didn't hear the initial question that he responded with. I don't know if it'll match the WBC, right? Because if if they asked him how he feels about going into Philly specifically, and that's the answer he dropped, then he's poking the bear. But if they asked him, you know, big games and adrenaline and atmosphere not related to Philly, then I think it was very overblown. Because he's saying, listen, I, I don't know if it will match, you know, the WBC. Like if you're not talking about the city, right? And and so, you know, for me, I remember my first playoffs, everyone asked me about big games or whatever. And I was like, listen, like it's not the same thing, but I pitched in the College World Series. That doesn't mean I'm demeaning Major League Baseball playoffs. It means that's the only point of reference that I have. And and this being kind of their first run, like I, you know, I don't know what what the playoffs looked like in Japan or Korea or wherever he was playing. I don't know if his teams were any good. I don't know any of the backdrop that I have is the biggest game he's played while I've known a lot about Merrill Kelly was in the WBC. So I think it's a fair answer. Okay. 
transitioning. Oh no, go ahead, Arm. No, I was also going to say like a, a really important point is you only know you're you only know your reference point at that moment. So in the College World right. Series, that is the biggest moment you've ever had. And well, while it saying. doesn't doesn't compare to the Big League World Series, like at that point, it's still equally as overwhelming. I feel right. like, and it, everyone wants to compare it, but at that point, it's your whole world, it's your whole life, and you probably have you can only have so much pressure yeah, relative a, to what a human the, can handle. And if the moment they say atmosphere in a game, the first thing he thinks of is WBC, then another it's another hats off to how awesome that that tournament was yeah. and how in my you know point of view, how we need to figure out how to make that tournament part of I think we need to make that uh, an easier transition for guys because I think guys trying to play in that in the regular season is really, really tough. I, I wish we could have that kind of um global level event more often that's not detrimental to players at all and so for him it's obviously been an impactful thing in his career and something that he's using as a point of reference to like go through things that are super nerve-wracking right like pitching in the playoffs is not easy pitching knowing you're walking into a city trying to take the joy out of their city by throwing a ball is not a super easy thing to do and so if we can get more guys in that kind of situation earlier, you're only going to see more and more guys that are really, really good in October. Transitioning to the bullpen uh, on this show, I've been raving about the size of Kevin Ginkle's nutsack because of his ability to come in in the big moments and absolutely dominate. But it's not just Kevin Ginkle. Paul Seawald has been unbelievable. Ryan Thompson has been going for multiple innings. Andrew Salfrank threw a couple of innings in the regular season, and now he's thrust into the seventh inning role. And yeah, it's been a little sketchy at times, but overall he's done a great job. All-star Joe Mantiply coming in in the fifth, those lefty matchups too. And the reason I think all of us are harping on the pitching, not only because we're speaking with Walker Buehler, decent pitcher, but that is the key in this series. Do you think that this Arizona bullpen can continue this incredible run that they've had in the first three series and carry it over against the Rangers, arguably baseball's best offense? Yeah, I think the interesting thing will be this three batter rule. Um, Mantiply, the young lefty, Thompson's funky enough that he can get out both sides, but there is probably he's probably a lot tougher on righties. Um, Ginkle we saw the other day was kind of can go both ways, but still a right-handed pitcher. The the Rangers lineup is as dynamic as it is because it's very 50-50. The same guys are playing every day, kind of righty-lefty. It doesn't matter because there's enough of each. And you've got Seeger and Simeon and Adolis and Heim. And, like, you've got kind of some symmetry there that, you know, if you're a right-handed starting pitcher, you're going to face four righties and five lefties if you're, you know, so we'll see what happens in terms of those guys going and getting three outs um, against probably at best two guys on their same side. So I, I think that'll be the the thing. And, and this Texas team has seemingly found a way to keep getting the big hit. So you kind of always think that big hit's going to be off of a reliever, uh, opposite handed reliever. That's just kind of how it feels. Right. So, um, I, I think that'll be a big part of it for them. So I do want to talk Rangers offense right now, because that's obviously who the Diamondbacks pitching staff will be seeing. And 
Corey's been crazy good and he's really heated up, especially when they went back to Houston in game six and seven. Um, real quick, has Corey Seager been using the same bat since you played with him in 20? I've been yeah. saying that thing looks illegal somehow. I don't know how it is illegal, but like, no, it, you know how it is illegal? You see, that, you see that Walker smile right there? Immediately he's like, yeah, that thing ain't legal. <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's just a guy that doesn't really change bats. I don't know. There's some guys, there's some guys that, you know, I'm a I'm a guy with my cleats. Where if I get the if I get the loss, I shouldn't say this publicly. I should say they go to a charity or something, but they go directly in the trash can if I lose the game. <laughs> Corey is not that way. If it's over four, four for four, as long as that bat is not is in one piece, then he continues to use it. And um, yeah, you can tell if he's going good or not if that bat has a bunch of tar on it. So can I say that that cleats in the trash is not an uncommon thing in triple a that's a very common thing and in high a it was even high a like listen, it's borderline surprising these- to me it's kind of surprising to me that because listen professional baseball players we have plenty of gear and all of that but i will tell you the one thing that um i remember playing when i first got drafted some of the lower drafted guys the 30 whatever round pick guys you'd ask them who their agent was or where they got their cleats or whatever. Cause they always seemingly had like wilder cleats. You know, Oh, did your agent get them? He's like, yeah, my agent's Ross. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I just go to Ross. the store. <laughs> <laughs> so it is funny to me that guys would do that in, in high A or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's not totally uncommon, but I Seeger's been a handful. He was a handful for Houston. Um, I, Semyon wasn't, but we know who Marcus Semyon is. That has to be the most exhausting scout you could possibly do because it's one through nine, like, oh, damn, Leody Tavares is in the nine spot. He was rocking yeah. a thousand OPS midway through the CS and Adolis Garcia has 20 RBIs in 12 games this postseason. So this version of the Texas Rangers, as we sit here on Wednesday, the 25th, how do you go about like tackling a scout for them if you're throwing game one against them? I mean, talking about the the symmetry we just wore of, of that lineup, right? It, it's kind of, for me, scouting-wise, it was always trying to group certain guys in certain molds. Um, I'm a big try and find one phrase to, to determine how I scout a hitter, right? Try and boil down all the information that I like to know and, and try and figure out how to one phrase get it in my head. And, and if I can kind of group two or three of them together, right, then it, then it seemingly starts dwindling down until I have one job to do and it's just deal with these two or three little things. And um, whether that be a, you know, a seven all-star lineup or, or whatever they had. So um, yeah, you know, I think with Corey, it's kind of interesting just because his approach is is so different than, than most players nowadays in terms of the hyper aggressiveness on OO and then the kind of super tentative, not tentative, but uh, patient and and kind of selective after that. So um, they have an interesting, really interesting mix of, of approaches. Right. And that a lot of times is more difficult even than, um, you know, one guy can hit curveballs and one guys can hit sliders and and whatever Um, you can kind of, you know, everybody talks about starting pitching, dictating the rhythm of games um we have the tempo and and now that's kind of gone somewhat right but i think people don't really understand that kind of talks about the at-bats as well in terms of 
how free are is the OO throw to eight of these nine hitters? Oh, it's pretty free. That slows the game down for us. So they're kind of all over the place. And so you don't get that kind of settled in feeling or, or um, that ability to, to get ahead as, as easy as normal. Follow up on the, the Rangers specific lineup and, and the way that you got to kind of try to prepare for them. I was amazed at the way they prepared for Christian Javier. And, and, you know, it's a little bit easier when it's two pitches and, you know, you just got to get on top of that vert and they did that. But when you are out there on the mound and I know you have the six pitches, as we alluded to that you can attack hitters in so many different ways, but you see a team has a specific plan against you. And maybe it was a way that you were kind of planning on attacking that team. How do you go about that? You know, how are you adjusting that in a specific start? If you see, you know, oh, they're laying off of this pitch or, oh, as a team, they're collectively on this. Like, how how can you tweak a plan as the game's going on in a big spot like that? Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this is not the right way to do it. It's just the way that I do it, right? It is typically to a hitter, you'll have an idea of 1-1 what you want to throw or 2-2 or whatever, kind of a, a middle point of an at-bat. And for me, if a team is obviously being extremely aggressive, I will try and move up what I will throw that pitch hmm. one pitch earlier. They're being really passive. I will try and throw up one pitch later. Um, I don't think it ever works out that way that I had this grand scheme and it worked out one before one after, but I think that mentality is kind of, um, kind of what I try and do, right? If I know to a certain guy, it's probably going to be a cutter one, one, and they're being hyper aggressive, then it's probably going to be a one Oh cutter. And if it's, they're being real passive and it's one, one, I'm probably going to throw a fastball. And then if I miss two, one, it's going to be the cutter, right? So you kind of try and take those different scenarios that, that allow you to get to the leverage point that you've been envisioning for four days and still be able to throw the pitch to get the guy right. But just sometimes it has to be in a different spot. If we're talking about grouping uh, some of these Rangers together, um, I like what you were saying about all these different approaches, but especially with Seager, like it's so tough to deal with him. And then also you have Adolis Garcia. Uh-huh. who is just hitting home runs, it seems like, every single game, hit one in four straight games. I think he hit five home runs in, in four games. With a guy like that who does have the swing and miss, but when he's not swinging and missing, how yeah. do you go into a start against that guy who is so incredibly hot right now? Because like Corey Seager, you might just have to take your licks. He was yeah. hot during the regular season. He was hot during the playoffs. He's a playoff performer. But Adolis Garcia didn't exactly come out of nowhere. But I don't think even Texas Rangers fans saw this power just every yeah. single game unrelenting. How do you deal with a guy who is straight up standing on his head? Yeah, uh, the only kind of point of reference that I can remember was J.D. Martinez for me in 2018 where he hit all those home. He just he was a kind of in a different world at, at that time. And in that lineup, we were talking Devers and Mookie and Xander and, and all of these guys. It was you can't let J.D. Martinez beat you. And and for me, it was kind of mandatory in our scouting reports. I was instructed at the time because I was a rookie to basically make him feel a ball every at bat. So mm-hmm. for me, it was basically every one, one or two one, I was throwing a ball up in and wasn't really trying to throw a strike. 
I wasn't trying to hit him, but trying to make him feel a ball. Um, we call it, I call it bow tie. So there's guys that I still scout that in our scouting meeting, I say, and we've got a bow tie him, which just means put a ball kind of up, up to where he can feel it. Um, you know, with a guy like Garcia too, you know, he's hit some homers on some weird pitches. He, he hit that one oppo in, in Houston that was kind of midline away. I, you know, I still, I don't know his scouting report. I, I haven't faced him much, but my guess is that it's down away is probably one of the safer zones up in is probably one of the safer zones. And then the slider and the, and the curveball are probably okay. Um, I saw him hit the the one curveball off France, I guess it was. Yeah, he's like but hitting that, everything out. <laughs> yeah, but like... that's just kind of a different curveball, right? That that's not the kind of curveball that I throw in terms of velocity and, and kind of what I'm trying to do with it, even. So um you kind of got to take those as outliers a little bit and then kind of really dig in on you know, he's had a great past whatever 20 or 25 at bats, but but there's something in the past hundred or hundred and twenty at bats that that most guys can do right. Most guys can throw a slider. Everybody can throw a down away fastball. And, and so I think getting even simpler when a guy's that hot is, is sometimes the only thing you can do because then you start being unpredictable and then you trick yourself into throwing him an O one heater in that he kind of traditionally sits hard in on no one, you know, whatever it is, right. You can, I mean, this is kind of a weird phrase and something that we kind of say and, but you can trick fuck yourself, right? You just, you trick yourself into doing something that screws you um, unintentionally, right? Yeah. Um, Rangers pitching. Now let's go to the other side of the matchup and then we'll, we'll predict at the tail end, but Ivaldi stat. Uh, Jaymont at this point stat. You've been teammates with Max Scherzer. He wasn't healthy before the CS, and here he was starting a game seven. Yeah. He's clearly cut from a different cloth. When you know that those three are likely getting the ball for you your first three games of the World Series, how comfortable are you if you're Bruce Bochy, and what are what have you seen from each of those three guys, Montgomery, Eovaldi, and Scherzer? Yeah, uh, you know, I... It's kind of the opposite of what Philly was saying in terms of the hitting. Like that's why you pay these guys is, is for that level of comfort. And, um, you know, Montgomery's not a free agent yet. He's obviously going to do well for himself this year. And, really um, you know, Uvalde's kind of never been in that high upper echelon, but for a guy with two Tommy Johns and, and whatever, he's probably making it, you know, he's making a good chunk of change. And, and then you trade for Scherzer, right? So, there is a comfort level when a guy has earned their way into making the kind of money that these guys make. And um, that's why you pay them is so that these next three days before two days, whatever it is there, the, the general manager is not freaking out about what they didn't do. Right. Like that's, that's the whole thing. And so, you know, I think, as a guy who's who's done the playoffs and all of that, like I, I feel like that's a that's a thing that like I think I could make a general manager feel good that I'm taking the ball, right? Like that's the pride that you take in it because you know you've been there and had some semblance of success. And and you know, some people like to bet on the unknown and and I'm just not always that kind of guy. And 
So, uh, you know, I think they have to feel really good in that clubhouse. Now, that, does that mean everything? No. But, you know, we've been I've been in rotations with me, Clayton, Scherzer and Julio and we've lost series. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, I've been obviously part of the reason we lost. It is what it is. But I know that at the beginning of the series, our front office probably felt pretty good about it. And so, um, yeah, it's a scary rotation. Can you imagine if Jacob deGrom's in that conversation and, and Oda Rizzi's coming out of the bullpen probably in that situation? And, um, you know, they went, and, they went and paid six John Gray as well. So and they paid six guys and traded for one, and, and they end up with three big boys at the end. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the running game of Arizona. It's seemingly they're kind of that classic young speed doesn't sleep team and um you know you get one guy on and, and seemingly for them that's a little bit more momentous than than other teams because 70 percent of their guys can steal a base and and so singles become doubles and bleeders become rbis and things kind of get rolling for them so um it'll it'll be a fun series it's kind of a a you know young kind of put together team a lot of homegrown with a couple of veteran guys and and then a team that is homegrown and then they kind of put all the dressing on top of it right and so um yeah it'll be exciting i the only thing i have to to add or follow up with on on the rangers front in terms of the pitching is what what have you specifically seen from Nate Eovaldi in terms of just being able to kick it into a different gear of, of late? Because we, we talk about using the adrenaline to your favor and the way he's been able to do that. But also I feel like there's almost a line you want to toe because that's a guy that's been injured, you know, had a little bit of a flare up at the end of the season, like doesn't want to you know, be unavailable. doesn't want to push himself too hard, but at the same time, it seems like adrenaline has been his best friend. How do you like in, in your mind? How does somebody manage that? And also, what do you think has really clicked for him down the stretch here? And you think he can keep that going into the World Series? Yeah, I mean, seemingly adrenaline has always kind of been his friend, right? We, you know, I remember eighteen very vividly, and and what he has done in the playoffs, and you know, I think for him that flare up probably took him from being the ninety four, ninety eight guy that we kind of know to being more of the ninety two, ninety five guy, and he had a few outings and figured it out a little bit and then the adrenaline's back and it's all 95 and now he's got a little more command conscious thing because he, there were some 92s in there for a few weeks right and so we were talking about gallon and that adrenaline kind of making the misses worse without the uptick and stuff like i think of probably just throwing like he's throwing 92 and it's 96 so that's the embracing of the adrenaline that's the next thing that's the how it can help you. Right. And, and I think he's a great example of, of what can happen in those situations. And, um, you know, he's also seemingly from the outside and the little kind of conversations I've had with him, it, it's, he, he's not a guy that, that is not going to take the ball kind of regardless. Right. I, I think, you know, I, I kind of, I understand that mentality a lot in terms of, before this surgery. Right. And I, and I think I kind of understand it even more now in that, you know, he's probably a guy that that's hunting moments and hunting memories and, and hunting um, the chance to be remembered in a different light than maybe his career. Right. You get injured a few times and um, 
you know, as cheesy as it is, like legends never die. Like legends aren't made in the regular season. They're, they're made in October. And, and for him, I, I think that's probably a big part of his identity as a player. And, and that guy's not going to not take the ball. Transitioning over to the Texas Rangers bullpen, because I do feel that it is the weakest unit on their team. And now it's not a weak unit, but when you look at their offense and we're talking about how comfortable we are with their starting pitching, that's an edge that the Diamondbacks can have with how good their bullpen has been. You know, Jose LeClerc has done a good job transitioning to the closer role, but he hasn't been shut down like a Paul Seawald has. Or does Chapman look good with an eight-run lead, but him in a tie ball game, I don't have a ton of confidence. Josh Spores is the guy that I'm looking at where it's like, watch yeah, your if, mouth. He, if he takes the mound, watch about the two. Josh Spores is in my wedding. That's his guy. I was just about to shower and play praise. I'm like, Josh Spores is my favorite reliever right now in the <laughs> Texas Rangers pen. Okay, real quick, um, how do you feel about your groomsman's facial hair that he's got going on? Because clearly he's shaving like in the crevice great. between the sideburn no, and the goatee. Not. That's that's the growth pattern. I got really? it too. Not as yeah, bad that's as the, That's the growth pattern. Um, yeah, Josh Spore's for wedding or groomsman. Yeah. But, but my question. Also, also, don't forget 2015 College World Series most outstanding player, Josh Spores. And I'm oh. putting plenty of respect on Josh Spores' name. I think that there was is. my main my main I point of this threw, entire question. I is. think that fella threw like 16 or 18. Look this up. I think it was 18 shutout innings in Omaha. Damn. As a reliever. So Josh Spores is the greatest reliever of all time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's good. On, he's good under the lights. I'll tell you that. He is good, but the thing is, he is kind of the only guy in that back end that I have full faith in right now because they bring in Andrew Heaney in these innings. They bring in Cody Bradford in these innings. Of course, they have a couple of guys, Martin Perez. Like, if those starting pitchers don't perform, the Diamondbacks can win in the later innings. Am I overlooking some arms, or do you share a similar opinion that this Ranger bullpen could ultimately do them in? Let me ask you that because this is kind of the inside baseball thought of it, right? Who's the righty on that team that you would have face Christian Walker? Probably Spores. I think be LeClerc, second. Probably Leclerc. Okay. Who's the lefty that you would have face Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas? Chapman? My okay. God. That's what I'm saying. Like, are we sitting here being like, yeah, the Rangers are going to blow them out. Diamonds yeah. are going to score off these guys. We'll see in five I, minutes if we're saying the Rangers are blowing them out. <laughs> I just, I have my concerns back there because if Scherzer, right, he's returning from an injury or is a four to six week window. He made that first start in week five of that window, second start week six of that window. And now we assume that he's getting healthier. But he hasn't right, exactly what was the, dominated. What was the pitch count in the second game? How many pitches did he throw? 44 pitches, I think. Yeah. I think it was exactly 44 because I remember saying. In game oh, 70, there 44 pitches? Pretty sure. I think he only went three and two-thirds. Great recall, so that's Peter. What, 44 pitches. Bang. So yeah. that's where I think the Diamondbacks can be really effective here. But that's what my question is. Am I not doing this Rangers bullpen enough service? Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously we 
we know Evaldi and Montgomery have gone pretty deep in games, right? But you've got to win quite a few games to get to the World Series. And, and so something has been going well back there, whether it's the name that, that you like or not, it, it something is working. And, um, you know, I know Spores has been good. LeClerc's been pretty good. Chapman, a little rocky, but it's still 103. And, and so there's some things back there that I, I don't think are super – simplistic right there's no 88 91 with a little run and a change-up guy that's kind of in there to eat four innings and, and get us to the next game right and and I think you know probably the least dynamic guy that that you're looking at at least the guys you've talked about is Perez who was an all-star last year or kind of in the Cy Young conversation at least early in the year like Guy's very talented, right? And and it's 92-94 and it's sharp and there's a cutter and you know. So whether or not it, you know, there might not be Mariano Rivera and Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell in his prime, right? But there there's some guys that are that are getting outs in, in the big leagues right now and and doing some things that people aren't scoring, right? And, I mean, they they handled what you know, I guess the counterpoint to what I'm saying about Scherzer is you know, they got their Houston for five and a third. Yeah. And so if you're talking probably the the second scariest lineup, maybe not the names and, and all of that, Atlanta's in that conversation. But Houston, in terms of having Jordan Alvarez and, and guys that have been really good in the playoffs, like they won a seven game series against Houston. Like in Houston. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't like the Montgomery first round seven shuddy and, and all that. Like it was a little grindier and bringing guys in and making a big pitch and, and they did. So uh, I think for them, they don't have much concern of it because things are, the dominoes are kind of falling and, and the guys are making pitches when they need to. I, I have it by the way, Josh spores, 26 innings, no earned runs to close out his collegiate career. That includes the playoffs. I was one, I was curious in Omaha. Yes. Oh, just in Omaha alone. In well, the there was probably a back-to-back entirety. There was probably back to back in a super regional, and then there. Were, so whatever after he threw back to back against somebody. Oh, probably. I got you right here. Starting in the regional it was nineteen scoreless innings in the NCAA tournament. That's pretty insane. solid. <laughs> That's pretty good. That'll play. <laughs> Let's wrap with the Arizona offense, and then we'll make our picks quick. Um, Kittel Marte has been. The guy. He's been the main piece. He's been a star this postseason. Aside from him, it's kind of worked in spurts for a lot of guys. And Alec Thomas had a four-game burst where he looked amazing. And Corbin Carroll, wild card at the beginning of the DS, he looked amazing. Then he tapered off a little bit, and he's got to road that suspension bridge back up. Christian yeah. Walker was cold. You know, he's like everybody has kind of gone through this level of malleability except for Cattell Marte. So aside from Marte, Who's kind of jumped out to you through the DS and the CS? Yeah, I mean, the Thomas Homer, the you know, kind of the Corbin, Corbin had, what, three hits yesterday or the day before, whatever it was. Um, I think the most fun thing for me is to watch Longo kind of with this group of younger guys. Um, the big play in Milwaukee was kind of fun, like – he's the oldest guy on the field and he makes this crazy jumping, spinning, throwing play. And, yeah. um, you know, I've played against him a lot in, in San Fran and, and know a lot of people that know him well, I, I don't know him super well, but, 
I always think it's fun when when there's a guy that's kind of on the way out and and he gets on it you know he goes he signs that one deal that you're like oh man you didn't have to sign that but I get it you still want to play and um then he kind of turns that team around man and and I, I think it, that's probably my favorite storyline of it I, I think also just having played against a lot of that team for a long time and you know we talked about Ginkle previously and Mantiply and these guys that pretty good and they just so happen to come in a lot of time you know a lot of times against us down four and, and things like that where you're like man we could use that guy and, and so for them to get to kind of show that and, and for our division and um you know we've kind of run the division for a long time and you know outside of san diego and san fran and arizona is not the one we've been talking about but but they've been doing it the right way and um they've had some guys that are, that are really good. And, and now they just have enough of them and, and have kind of caught fire. And, and so I, I guess kind of hats off to him. I wish it didn't go through us, but um, you know, I think it was cool. I've seen this stat on Twitter. Now it's like almost every team that plays in the world series, the team that beats us, it's kind of, kind of sad, but kind of cool. <laughs> um, I have a question about being a Dodgers pitcher now in this division. Um, cause you talked about Longo, a guy who I've been incredibly impressed with. Um, and we've been talking about him in our just baseball group chat constantly. He's an all guy. uniform guy. Who's an all uniform guy. Longo's an all, all uniform guy. This is a debate you all need to have. I don't want to be involved in this, but you guys need, this is a fun one. Top five, all uni guys who wears the uniform the best. Okay. Ooh, in terms of like aesthetic. Yeah. The cleat the bat the stand like there's yeah. a lot that goes into it so we'll just do top five hottest guys in major league baseball we'll have that yeah it's not hot though it's in the uniform <laughs> <laughs> how they wear the uniform no I'm, all right jack, yeah we jack can phrase talks it like about that. that jack talks about that a lot i do jack, but yeah i also call a lot of guys hot so that yeah. that's kind of my downfall well, I'm, a, I'm a big shoe guy so longo always had the new balance but he always he was one of the only guys that made new balance plates cool you know he's clean so I, I have I a ton of bias, there. but Ronnie Belliard, when he was in Cleveland, used to like yeah. literally poke holes in the back of his pant with his cleat, yeah, and he wore his that's pants. That's a bad like look. That. That's, that's not all uniform. Look. I thought it was sick. I thought it was all uniform. Yeah, I'm sure so you I'm did. Scared. It makes complete sense for you. Whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> a, I, I'm out on that look. I'm really that. That's a bad one. But my my question about about Moreno and about Carroll two rookies at the top of this lineup now going into the world series as a guy who's probably going to face them for the foreseeable future. What have you seen from that dynamic duo? Because it's hard now to sit here with them being on the biggest stage and continually performing at this age, kind of like how you were continually performing at a really young age and look at how your career has blossomed. Like, as a guy on the Dodgers, seeing them start to really heat up, how scared are you on a scale of nine to ten? <laughs> nine to ten. From nine From to ten. Nine to 10. Listen, man, there there are young players that can be a little scary, but if you want to talk about what's scary is when your division rivals overtake you after you win seven divisions in a row, San Fran, or when another team spends what three hundred million on Manny Machado and gets wants. That's scary stuff. I think for baseball, you know, if I take a step back, I think for baseball, we were all talking about the Orioles and how young they are and all this shit. But 
it should be equally as exciting that Arizona is kind of doing what they're doing in terms of being young. I obviously am like very anti Arizona <laughs> in general, but if that collection of people was wearing a different uniform and wasn't playing in my division, I would say that it's a good thing for baseball that they went and paid a couple guys. They have a couple veteran guys. They have a young team. They're developing guys. They paid Corbin Carroll somewhat his market in terms of how many little games that he played. You start building an organization around really talented, good, smart baseball players. And I think that is a good thing for, for our sport. Do I prefer the Texas Rangers probably to have all these superstars that are really good and older guys that we have no concerns about? And it's just a matter of, will they be good today? Yeah, I prefer that. I would rather do that. But I also think that that the Diamondbacks have had to play very veteran teams in terms of our division and go through us and have a, I said this after the series, that they should have some confidence that they went through us in the playoffs and i and i really mean that like you know i don't care what my team was when i was in the playoffs if i beat somebody in the playoffs when i was 24 years old and they were in the world series and done all that like that would give me confidence so yeah for them it, it probably should so you know hats off to, you know honestly both these teams i like the way they're doing it i, I think there's a couple different ways to make a really good team and, and i think these are probably the two most prominent and I think if they don't have long go, they don't get there. But mm -hmm. I, I think that's part of making sure that you have a certain amount of, of veteran leadership and, and guys that can take the anxiety out of a lot of this for, for younger players. That was so to summarize. Yeah. yeah, no, go ahead, Jack. I was that just going to say. That was a fucking master class at complimenting a team in division. That was really good. And it, it kind of made me land on the point where it is a nine out of 10 in terms of scared. You aren't terrified of them, but you are scared. Me? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not the same team, but you can look up the Arizona Diamondbacks versus Walker Wheeler numbers if you want to. And I bet they're Raising better. That than, letter grade. I bet Let's they're better. <laughs> I bet they're better than the Peter Appel versus any high school team that you ever played against numbers. That was so disrespectful because not only did yeah, you just to. call me a shit ball player, you just messed up my freaking last name. So it's just a double Sucks. whammy of fuck you. Sucks. I don't know. I make a good point. I'm in my athletic prime. I'm 25 Apple years old. Apple is spelled A-P-P-L-E. Yeah. A-P-P-E-L, apple, like the fruit. I'm not according I, to Vanderbilt University. Ever heard of it? I don't <laughs> care about that. It's my name. A plus. Yeah, Should we a just plus. like pick a winner in how many games? C minus. <laughs> This guy doesn't know ball. <laughs> All right. Walker Bueller, who's your World Series champ? How many games? Hmm. Um, gone away from him the whole time, obviously. <laughs> Rangers and six. <laughs> Which also, by the way, real quick before I give my prediction, you have thrown at least 70 innings against a few a few teams please tell me it's like a 10 era which team it's arizona yeah. <laughs> no, no yeah no i was just gonna say i was gonna ask you trivia of like which teams you think you have a sub two five against but Peter, first you're not I, gonna like this <laughs> arizona it's a two <laughs> hold on let me just read the stat line across walker bueller against the arizona diamondbacks is six and oh 
with a 2.07 ERA uh, and a complete game shutout in 78 and a thirds innings, 89 punch outs and an 0.85 whip. That's why I'm an, I'm an incredible journalist because they have a new lineup now, right? He was beating up on the 52 win Diamondbacks. Now they got Gabby Moreno and they got Corbin Carroll. Props Let me ask you a question. simple question. Was every guy that I faced making a major league salary or no? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Walker, have you ever met a bigger hater than Peter Rappel? <laughs> well, not that. a guy that not a guy that went one on four in his NFL picks last week. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm positive on the year, and I'm the one with the baseball, real baseball guy right here. Allegedly. See, I'm waiting for the day that the little Twitter thing comes up. You know how now on Twitter X it has like the group comments that says this is false. This is a community note. <laughs> community I, can't community note. The, I can't wait for the unit, the unit tweet up 11 and a half units this year. And it, there's a community note that says we followed all this. He's down 13 units. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't got a response to that. It's all track. I mean, what am I doing? Trying to prove myself. That was a good joke. You got me. That was a good joke. Uh, trivia question for you on yourself before I give my prediction. Yeah. Which team, minimum 50 innings, do you have the lowest career ERA against? I would have thought it was Arizona. No. There's one that's even more insane. San Diego? Yep. What do you think it is? What was it against Arizona, 207 or something you said? 2.07, yep. San Diego is probably 195. Lower? 149. Ooh. Six and zero with a one four nine ERA in ten starts, sixty six and two thirds innings, seventy six punchies, and a zero point seven nine five WHIP. That place, that's pretty damn good. Holy shit, that's good. That, yeah. That's six and two thirds on eight with one. That's what that is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, to humble you, minimum twenty innings, highest ERA. Oh, uh, minimum twenty. Cincinnati. No, there you got a three-two-two against them. What? <laughs> uh, right in Great American in that small park. Um, not Seattle. I don't think I faced Texas enough. No, and actually, you were good against Texas. No, my rookie year, they they hit me around. I had to come out pretty early in a game. I had a broken leg though. Um. I don't know. The New York Mets. Yeah, that makes sense. Five ERA in 27 yeah. innings. And then the Phillies, if you want to count that, is six, yeah, four, Phillies. eight, and 16. Washington's not innings. very good, probably. Atlanta's not very good, probably. Humidity. NL East. The NL East? Yeah, I don't like that place. The Marlins, a four one five. Yeah, not great. First start ever in the big leagues against them, though. Five shutty against them. In what year? But so that would have been... 18. 18. 18. Oh, that, yeah, that was, that was for my first the dog days for, for, for me watching that team. Oof. All um, right. Prediction winner. Um, I'm taking the Rangers in six. Yeah. Yeah. We got Walker, Ranger in six. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Rangers in seven. Walker has to bear one more episode with us. Got you. Yeah. I'm going to go Rangers in seven also. I think it actually looks eerily similar to the Rangers versus the Astros series. 
Um, I think there's going to be a couple of games where the Diamondbacks win on a late game heroic thing against that bullpen. But then there's also going to be a couple of games where the Rangers win 10 to three when their offense just shows up and it doesn't matter who's on the mound. But I think they all match up pretty well. Like if I got Gallon, Kelly, and Fott taking on Montgomery, Scherzer, and Eovaldi, I don't think that's a clean sweep for Texas. I think they're going to be battling back and forth. I think some games will be decided in the bullpen for Arizona, but ultimately at home, home field advantage, Texas takes it, wins it in seven, and Walker comes on, and he stops being mean to me. I said we'll see you after Sunday. Gotcha. Um, Snakes and six, because we already conducted Walker's exit interview, so we shouldn't be having him again. Uh, (laughs) And I have to stop thinking reasonably about baseball, because every time I try to do that, the opposite happens. And uh, I think the reasonable mind within me says the Rangers are going to win. So I'm thinking snakes and six. I love it. I think this this series is going to be wildly competitive. I I think this is going to be a banger. I'm glad we got on schedule there because we got very off in the intro. And when you get off schedule in the intro, that's kind of when disasters happen. We're saving yeah, I, it right now, though. I think you see a title. Walker Bueller gives his World Series predictions with the three of us, and everybody's hoping that we get to there. But I had to air out some things that I feel like I could be a valuable contributor on the field. Will I get a contract? I don't know. We can't say no. We can only say I don't know and that it's up in the air. But that was a great episode, by the way. Yeah, so here, here's kind of how I view that internally. Like every time that I talk before I know we have something going on, like the intro to a guest is when I feel it most. I'm like, oh my God, shut up. Oh my God, shut up. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> like just get to the freaking guest, man. But I I appreciated you stacking your order of athletic prowess and, and baseball excellence that you would like to achieve. Um, Yeah, I went with the... Diamondbacks because I don't know anymore and I'm going to stop thinking and just work on vibes. Yeah. I went with the Texas Rangers and I like it. I don't feel great about it. I'm glad I said it was in seven rather than six or five. We need another game seven. We got back to back game sevens in the NLCS and the ALCS. This postseason deserves a game seven. And just remember, folks, we're going to do the same thing recapping games in the wee hours of the night and then previewing the next day. This is the best week of Major League Baseball. We get the World Series between the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Congrats to the people of Phoenix. Congrats to the people of Arlington, Texas, and all fans of those teams. We'll be back tomorrow. Big episode. We're doing our MVPs, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, some niche awards for this MLB season. So we'll catch you tomorrow. And it's all brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Remember, use that code just baseball for all of those bonus bets. The best way to support, it'd be great if you grab some just baseball merch. That's in the episode description. Sure. But if you don't want to spend a dime, written reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leaving five stars is the best way. Helps us grow this show so we can continue to give you guys as much free content as humanly possible. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. Why not? It's so easy. It's hit free. the subscribe button too. It's Don't big and it's there. red. It's so easy. Come on and comment anything that we said was egregious. Comment your World Series predictions. We'll be back tomorrow. That's Jack McMullen. I am Peter Apple. And with that... Thank you, everybody. Kevin Gankel's nuts.